News. Talk. Passion. The Rick Peterson Show. Hear Rick live. Weekdays, noon to 1 on CJAD 800. The Quebec Charter of Values. Uh, again, more comments coming out of another organization connected to healthcare today on what they think of all of that. And uh, we'll get into that in just a few moments after the 1230 news. That's still ahead. And we're going to talk to a reporter on the uh, an update after the week has gone by now on America, Syria, what kind of action may happen there. That's all still ahead. Want to begin, as usual, with our free-for-all discussion. You are invited to this discussion. We like varied opinion. That's why we have Matt Gurney of the National Post, a columnist there, an editorial board member, join us on Fridays. And, Matt, I've got you on the phone. You got me, indeed. You got me any way you right. want me, but you got me by phone good, right now. Good, good. I just want to make sure you're there because I can't see you. And Supriya Devetti of the Huffington Post, a contributor there, she joins me as well. And Supriya, are you there? Oh, I'm I'm here via phone. Chuckling away. Yeah. Uh, The first thing I want to talk about is, um, you know, right out of the gate, as we just heard in the news, as Marwa is looking back on her first year, and again, we look at another uh, week of uh, endless debate when it comes to the uh, the Charter of Values that we still have yet to see, and apparently it's going to come out in little pieces now so she can keep this in the forefront and not the economy. Uh, but she says that, uh, you know, multiculturalism is causing fights and violence in Britain. Is she right? Uh, let's start with you, Supriya. No, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous, right? She, she likens multiculturalism to bomb-throwing and face-punching. Um, I would point out to Bonin Marois that I am the product of multiculturalism. That means I'm fluently trilingual. Um, I love speaking French. I went to a French law school, and that also means that if I'm given a choice between chicken tikka masala and chicken pot pie, I'll choose the chicken tikka masala, but it doesn't mean I'm any less Canadian or, I, you know, I, I just I know how to be Indian and Canadian at the same time. Yeah, and by your choice. Exactly. Uh, Matt. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, when I was walking in here, I've said hello to all my friends here. None of them look like me, and it's just funny. I mean... Oh, look, the neighborhood I'm from, I admit, when I was a young guy 30 years ago, it looked pretty much just like me and my family. You look at it now, it doesn't look anything like it used to. And I, th- I say that's all to the good. I mean, I joke with some of my friends that it's getting to the point where about half of us of my immediate friend circle have kind of married people who are similar to us ethnically, religiously. The other half haven't, and that's the new normal. Multiculturalism is working just fine all across this country, all by itself. It doesn't need the government to hold its hand or to try and choke it. It's doing just fine everywhere else except Quebec, apparently. And frankly, I think it's doing just fine in most of Quebec, at least where it's an issue. This is a problem, if it's a problem indeed, that will solve itself. We're doing okay. Look, it hasn't worked out as well in all places of the world. It's fair to point that out. But why worry about what's happening in some parts of Europe when Premier Morrow can look to her east and her west and see it's working just fine in Atlantic Canada and Ontario? On the other thing that she's saying is she looks back at this year, and I offered a performance review uh, of the real deal kind of thing on my blog this week at cjd.com, which has not surprisingly risen to the top as one of the most uh, favorite posts on our, our webpage because people want to weigh in on and, and assess her as she works for us, technically. But she says she has reestablished social peace. Uh, and in other words, put an end to all of the pots and pans and the things that were going on with students. I would argue that the students uh, were running out of gas running out of money, running out of room to go. And I, I don't know that I would credit her with bringing and reestablishing social peace. Uh, would you, Sapria? 
No, absolutely not. And I mean, I think she's just sort of has rose-colored glasses on here, and she's delusional because at the end of the day, the students are very upset. Those who are part of the core movement um, were very upset by the PQs, you know, kind of backing out on promises and, and, and not going through with what they had originally intended. Um, I think just this past week, there was a, another um, kind of impromptu manifestation where they gathered once again to you sort of denounce the PQs' policies. If anything, the only... The only political party in Quebec that actually had the students' well-being in mind was Quebec Solidaire. Matt? You know what I find ironic about this? When I was reading this and her uh, self-aggrandizing boasts of having restored uh, the social peace in Quebec, all I was seeing in my head was that video clip of her banging pots and pans. And I'm thinking, if she's restored social peace in her own province, she's done it by putting down the kitchen utensils and getting back to work. Quebec was always going to get back to normal. It happened when the student movement largely began to peter out. And I think Priya has just said, obviously, it's a work in progress. It's not like a mission accomplished scenario here. But we are not where we were a year ago. And to think that it's because Pauline Marois took office and stabbed the student movement in the back, causing them all to reconsider their position and go home, is preposterous even by Parti Québécois standards. All right, and let's get back to the charter again, too, because with the mayor of Calgary butting in, and, and I thank him for it, frankly, uh, this past week, and uh, where he's even said today now, where I guess with a conversation with Pauline Marois that he, did, he felt she didn't even know where Calgary was, which I found interesting. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the rebuttal to some of the remarks he made uh, from people like Lisey, who should know better, was that uh, if you were to follow the polls, even in Alberta, uh, they would back some of the things that are in the Charter of Values that uh, that this Quebec government seems to be arguing for. I would argue that the mayor of Calgary is showing leadership where there's a lack of leadership here on these issues. What would you think, Supriya? Yeah, I mean, I would absolutely agree with that. I think Lisey is sort of just trying to rally his base once again. And I mean, of course, you're going to find people in any part of the country that support certain measures of any piece of legislation. That, that's obvious. And I mean, most people will, I, I would like to think all Canadians support things like gender equality, which the Charter is trying to promote, and that's sort of the guise of, of what they're trying to do with getting, you know, promoting this, this secular thing. But I, to, to sort of scapegoat Nenshi into thinking that, like, everybody's a Quebec basher and people shouldn't weigh in outside Quebec. I, I think Nenshi's doing exactly what he should be doing and calling, you know, attention to this and, and welcoming Quebecers to Calgary should they want to go. Yeah, a position of leadership is what the man has. He's acting as a leader and should in situations like this. What do you think, Matt? I think he's the perfect guy to do it, not only because obviously he ticks off quite a few multicultural boxes himself, but also because he's a prominent Canadian politician who is not prominent because he's a federal politician. I think that makes all the difference. When you have a guy like him who is a big city mayor, very well known because, frankly, he's a likable guy and he's kind of a colorful character, he's the right man to go in and make these points. But I think, you know, to the broader issue being discussed here, I think Supriya has already touched on this. Any uh, Quebec nationalist who makes the point that some of these proposals would be popular in the rest of Canada is correct. There's no denying that. My response to that, though, is, yeah, bigotry is part of the human condition. You'll find it anywhere. But in nine out of the ten provinces in our glorious federation, a proposal like this would be dead on arrival. It would never even be discussed. And even if you had pockets of people here, there, and everywhere in any province who would think this is a grand old idea, the politicians would know not to promote it because it probably would not stand up to a court review. And even if it did, it would get them killed at the ballot box. Quebec is the outlier on this. 
I think it's worth asking why. All right, and I have just a quick question before we break and head to part two of our free-for-all discussion, this gradual implementation of the Charter of Quebec values when we finally get to see it. It's going to be bit by bit. Smart strategy, or what it says to me, by the way, is that they, wow, they really have nothing to say about the economy. Supriya? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a smart strategy, but I think it also shows that they don't even really know what they're doing. So I think what they're, they're trying to hedge their bets and, and put out bits and pieces at a time, see how the media reacts, see how, you know, polling um, reacts to whatever they're saying. But to me, it's just they're trying to let the people sort of go ahead and say and dictate what they want to do without having anything original to put forth themselves. Leadership again. Matt? Uh, you know, leadership's the word. True leaders don't wait for the opportune moment. They stand up for what they believe in, and they try to move public opinion to them. What the PQ is doing right now isn't leadership. It's strategy. And frankly, to me, it seems like a losing strategy. All right. We're going to move on in just a few moments on hospitals fundraising with big lotteries and the Medical Association now sounding off on that. And this video confession of a fatal drunk driving uh, incident. Uh, some of the things that we'll move forward with in our free-for-all with Supriya Devetti and Matt Gurney. Coming up, uh, health workers are expressing their concerns over the Charter of Quebec Values. We're going to talk to the man in charge there and what they have to say about it. And I want to get an update uh, from a CBS correspondent in the States as to after this week now, where does it stand with the U.S. and Syria? Lots been said, president out of the country, and we'll tell you exactly what has transpired, bring you up to date on that. But our free-for-all continues, and we include your comments of 514-800-514-790-0991, star 8255 on the cell. And you can join the opinion of uh, Matt Gurney, National Post columnist and editorial board member, and Supriya Devetti of CJAD and the Huffington Post where she contributes quite often as well. Something I heard in the news, and I, I don't mean to bounce this off you, but it just, it, I, I feel I have to comment, and I'll get your comments on it as well, is this alternative school, uh, part of one of the school boards, French-speaking school boards uh, uh, in, the, in the province, um, taking some heat today because they've asked parents uh, about to have police background checks. Uh, because at the school, which makes sense to me, uh, some of the parents are involved with working with the kids. And I think if anybody's working with the kids, as goes anyone teaching professionally with the kids, must go through these background checks. And there's nothing wrong with that. What do you think, Matt? I've been through a background check. Uh, I used to do some uh, freelance work going into senior citizens' homes and uh, running a little workshops for them. So not all of them uh are mentally sharp, but some of them are, and they can get bored. So I would go in, talk about the news with them, and I've been doing this for a while, and one of the homes eventually asked me, uh, hey, we'd love to have you come in on a more regular basis, but we would need you to have a background check because seniors are classed as vulnerable people. I said, sure. There, <laughs> it, it was that easy. I right. went into my local police station. They said, said them what the deal was, and they said, sure, plunk down your money. I think it was 15 bucks. I had it mailed to my house three days later, and everything was fine. I was never asked for it again, but there's no cause for offense here. I wasn't entirely clear how you described it, Rick. I mean, is it every parent or just yeah. those who would be in the school? It, what, what happens with, uh, say, the Lester B. Pearson School Board is uh, they only ask parents who volunteer with the children to fill them out. In this case, all the parents are being asked because, as the school says, blanket, you know, at some time you may be asked or you may want to participate, then the work is done. That strikes me as a little bit of an overreach, but I certainly think it's entirely permissible to say if someone wants to come into a school and uh, volunteer, that they should be asked. I mean, if someone has no intention of doing it, if they have something on their record, they'd rather not be out there. That's their business. I don't see that being Also, I, I think it sends a clear message to someone, Supriya, that may be thinking they have a way in and around uh, because uh, these uh, those who prey on our children can be very clever. 
Yeah, I mean, I, it does seem to me like to be on an overreach. I mean, the libertarian side of me kind of says it's really big, big brothery and somewhat unnecessary. But like Matt said, I, I myself have gone through background checks for various, you know, jobs or, or, or needing to write a standardized test. It seems like something that's run of the mill. It doesn't take very long to do. And you know, as a parent, I'm not a parent. Matt is a parent, so I, I would un, like I would feel better knowing that all the parents have had background checks. So if there is an impromptu, somebody needs to replace somebody else on a field trip, we know the work is done and that they're sort of checked out. So that to me seems like it would make sense. But you're absolutely right, Rick, in that if the people that do prey on our children tend to be quite clever, and I would only assume that they have ways to get around this other than if they had already been um, arrested in the past. Right. Uh, I want to move on to the video confession, this fatal drunk driving story that we've woken up or awakened to today. But I won't dishonor Vincent's memory by lying about what happened. Or Matthew uh, exactly Cordy is his name. He's 22 years old, describing the events leading up to an accident and taking full responsibility for the death of the 61-year-old that he had had on after drinking. Uh, said he wasn't going to hide behind lawyers who had counseled him that they can have his blood alcohol level thrown out of court and probably get him off on this. Uh, and... I hope that this doesn't turn out to be a mitigating factor in his sentence, but usually first offenses, I mean, will he even say see jail? I like the fact that this organization that is behind him on this, uh, you know, gets people to stand up and take responsibility. But I have to say I have mixed feelings on this, and it's just, Matt, what do you think? I think you've said it, Rick, mixed feelings. I'm a drunk driving hawk. I always have been. I don't think we take this nearly seriously enough in this country uh, or even the United States. I mean, the gentleman, I believe, is from Ohio. I like what he did. I like that he stood up and took ownership and uh, came out and said, I made a mistake and I'm willing to face the consequences for that. I admire that on a human level, but it, d- it doesn't bring the dead back to uh, back to us. So, you know, obviously, uh, assuming this is not some stunt of some kind, which we don't know for sure yet, but if we take it at face value and if this is legitimate, obviously the prosecutors have all they need to make their case right now, and he said he'd plead guilty. So... I expect it would be held as a mitigating factor that he confessed to children. That's all to the good, and I think a judge probably would acknowledge that. But you've still taken a human life due to your own recklessness, and that must be punished. It maybe will be punished a little less severely than it might have been otherwise, but it's got to be punished. If that's the case, I can live with it. What do you think, Sabria? Yeah, am I the only person here that thinks this guy is only looking for 15 minutes? Like, why make the YouTube video? Just walk into your local precinct and, and write a written confession. Right. It seems odd that, that, he, that he went through this medium. Like, a YouTube video isn't legally binding in, in any way or form. Yeah, it can be used against him as evidence, but once again, it can also be used as a mitigating factor. And, and he's going out of his way to say, you know, lawyers had counseled him to do this and that. But you know what? If you waive your, if you waive your Miranda rights and then go into to a police station and write a written confession, that would have been enough. It seems like this is a big like dog and pony show to try and get YouTube heads. Well, right. In the space of this organization that you know uh, tries to get people to do this and offers help for people who have these kinds of things on their mind and, and ought to stand up. Uh, got something from him on Facebook, and I guess they held his hand through this process, and they've got what they need to help promote their idea as well. Uh, I just hope the whole thing is legit, too, on the bottom line. There's always that creepy thing in the back of my mind. Is it exactly what they say it is? Uh, but mm-hmm. at, at the same time, we'll all sit and wait and watch this one. And again, I blogged about that today as well. And you can see my uh, reservations, and you can express your opinion at cjad.com as well. Supriya, so, thank you very much. Thank you. Supriya Devetti on CJAD and the Huffington Post. uh, And, of course, Matt Gurney, thank you.
Thank you. Have a good weekend. You can read him in the National Post, columnist and editorial board member. And I've got lots of texts from you, and I'll get to those in just a moment. CJAD time is 1227. Another organization steps forward with some uh, pretty heavy criticism and questions about the Quebec Charter of Values, and we'll talk to them coming up after the news and get an update on the situation in Syria uh, regarding the U.S. involvement there and what they might be planning to do. That's coming up after the news. Doesn't Quebec have a history of bomb throwing and not by multiculturalists, uh, asked Jim in a text uh, in response to our conversation earlier on Free For All. Another says, Rick, while you're at it, why not give a report card on your blog to the Conservatives? Here's mine. Fiscal responsibility, fail. Transportation or transparency, fail. Treatment of the Aboriginal people, fail. Misogyny, excels. Uh, crooked behavior, excels. Ability to waste our tax money, excels. Post that on your blog, Ricky P. Uh, well, maybe on another anniversary of those. I have not spoken well of the fiscal responsibility of this Conservative Party in the past, and, uh, and nothing seems to be improving in that. Love the comment, says another texter, that leadership is acting on your beliefs, and Quebec is strategizing. That is exactly uh, what Pauline Marois is doing. Hopefully a strategy that fails, says the texter, and thank you very much for your early input on our free-for-all discussion. You're listening to the Rick Peterson Podcast. Hear the show live, weekdays, noon to 1, on CJAD 800. Well, let's see now. We've had uh, the Bar Association and uh, many others expressing their concerns over a Charter of Quebec values as the way it's been floated out uh, by the PQ government, and apparently now we'll get it piece by piece. Add another group uh, to that list today. Pierre Blaine is the executive director of the RPCU, uh, Health Services Users and Patients' Rights Groups, and they're expressing concerns about the Charter of Quebec Values today as well. This association uh, defends the rights of users and is a spokesperson for the 600 users' committees and residences of health care facilities and social services in Quebec. And uh, Pierre, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. What are your concerns? Our concern is it's the, the state who should be neutral, not the individual working in the state uh, for, for the state. We, we feel it will be uh, uh, a, a very big mistake to, to, to associate religious symbols with services. I don't feel it's, it's right for, to do that. And, and what do you mean by that? If, if someone working in healthcare is wearing a crucifix, a Star of David, some religious symbol. Exactly. That's, that would be freedom. wrong? This is, from my point of view, no, they should be wearing that. It is the services offered by the institution that should be neutral. And that's the worry that we have right now, especially with the, some expression of religion inside some institutions. All right, so like the National Assembly or like the Bar Association has said, like teachers and uh, their big union said this week, it's exactly. the building, the crucifix on the wall, those kinds of things you would like to exactly. see. Exactly. From my point of view, this is a, something of a mistake. It, it's uh, like, uh, from my point of view, it's the same that in Chicoutimi with the mayor. The problem is not the prayer, it said. The, pro the problem with the institution then is the sign of the cross after. The the uh, genuflex exactly. All right. Will, will will a patient in 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 what you've said today talking about the comfort of patients and the yep. users of the healthcare system? Yep. Is it uncomfortable for them if they see a religious symbol on the caregiver? From my point of view, I don't feel. I don't think so. 
uh, look at the doctor. Uh, there's a lot of doctors who have some kippahs, and then I don't feel that this intervening with the the, the what we the, 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 the what we receive. Right. Do, yeah. do you have users asked uh, doctors or nurses to remove anything like that? Never heard about it. In all the time you've been doing this, all the time, absolutely. Because uh, the, the, if the doctor at the same time said, yes, then you should go to the synagogue, you should do that prayer and that kind of stuff, that would be different. But it's not the case. It's only a symbol. In other words, you're, you're not seeing a problem. I don't see any problem. Uh, but the problem I'm seeing is, how will we welcome the users going to institution if they have signs themselves? Will they be asked to, to, to remove it? I don't think so, but it's not very uh, interesting to go in somewhere where you will feel uh, that you are not welcome if you are wearing some. You're uh, very concerned about long-term care facilities, nursing yeah. homes, aren't you? Yes, we do. Express those concerns. The problem is uh, a lot of people are religious in long-term uh, center. And right, uh, right now, they receive uh, uh, some religious uh, function at the, uh, on Sundays. If you are Catholic, you have a mass, but also you, you could have other prayer from uh, the Jewish community and, right. and all that. Our feeling is these services usually are given by the institution. They are put in place by the institution. Then the mass every week is coordinated by a service inside, would that be affected by the, the charter? I received a call this morning from the cabinet of the minister, and he said, no, 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 it's not, uh, it's not that. They will not have any intervention. But we feel that that must be clarified. Right. And so from your press release, then, there has been some reaction. That's my last question. Oh, yes. Have they was, reacted to what you've said today? They, absolutely. And it was the reason why we did that. Right now, what we need is to the abolition of the tax on health and also to the accessibility to the, to the services. This is the most important part. I don't think we need to have that kind of discussion right now. It should be based on the economics of the problem Absolutely. right now. Absolutely. All right. I thank you so much for your time, Pierre. Merci My beaucoup. pleasure. Pierre Blaine is the executive director of the RPCU. Uh, through their website, and I'll post it later after the show today, you can see exactly the concerns they've expressed today and got some reaction to from the PQ uh, government. CJ80, time is 1241. Also want to bring you up to date at week's end on what is happening regarding Syria and the United States. The G20 summit uh, wrapping down, uh, winding down Obama, Putin no closer on Syria in an intervention. Jeff McCausland, of course, is with CBS Military Consultant. And uh, Jeff, it's been an interesting week. Uh, how far forward has America moved now on deciding to act? Well, I think that result, Rick, is kind of mixed at the moment. Of course, the president surprised everybody last weekend by asking for a congressional vote. That debate has begun. We did see the Senate Foreign Relations Committee in a narrow vote vote in favor of the president in that resolution. It appears likely, I think, the president will get support in the Senate. However, in the House of Representatives, it's a different story, and it doesn't seem to be any dramatic change in the attitude of Americans, so the president now has announced that he'll speak to the nation on Tuesday night. His trip to the G20 summit, where Syria obviously was a point of major conversation, did not result in a significant, you know, gathering of international support, 
which now seems somewhat limited uh, in terms of France, perhaps Turkey and Saudi Arabia, but uh, no real possibility, I think, of getting any kind of international organizational support from the U.N., NATO. Those appear to be very, very unlikely at the moment. Not only is Obama and Putin no closer to an agreement on intervention, but is there a reason to worry there? Are they, you know, completely opposed to the point where they may take up arms? I don't think so. I mean, I think, of course, the uh, Assad has been a client state of the Russians for a long period of time. Uh, The Russians are concerned that in many ways Assad is kind of a bulwark against extreme particularly Sunni and al-Qaeda-based terrorist organizations. And, of course, Russia maintains a large uh, Islamic population. They're very concerned about their, the uh, southern portion of Russia, where there has been in Chechnya, Dagestan, and elsewhere activity by these particular groups. But at the same time, I do not see the Russian Federation interested in going to war uh, over Syria uh, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, hopefully there would be some effort at some point in time where a commonality between the United States, Russia, and others could be found in seeking a diplomatic solution, perhaps through increased pressure on both sides to come to the conference table, a conference, etc., and then perhaps also uh, seeking support from the Russian Federation to ascertain exactly who uh, delivered these chemical weapons. Uh, the U.N. mandate for the team that went into Damascus only being to ascertain if chemical weapons were used. And there's a disbelief on the Russian leader's point to, to to what the intelligence says, although I don't think he has seen it. He's probably got his own. Jeff McCausland is a military consultant. Uh, so what of these uh, claims that, uh, you know, the intelligence isn't right and that there's lies going on? Yeah, the Russians have claimed for a long period of time that the evidence pinning this on the Syrian regime was inconclusive. They've also made some suggestions that they happen to believe that the weapons were delivered by the, the rebels. I'll have to say, you know, that all of the intelligence has not been released, and I'm certainly not privy to it, but just the analysis we have seen seems to me to make it very, very, very unlikely that an attack of this size, which required a significant capability in terms of a large number of rockets being delivered to you know, provide the chemical cloud that killed these people, it seems pretty clear from what we see on the ground that it was, in fact, rockets, fairly sophisticated rockets, and some information suggested that we have... Um, signal intercepts about them talking about it, them being the Syrian military before and after the strike, that all the evidence certainly makes it highly likely that this was the Syrian regime. Interesting. And a quick question uh, before we go, and I launch you into your weekend as well, although things happen on the weekends in this story as it develops as well. A timetable at all. Is there any kind of an idea as to when a U.S. decision would be made? No, I don't really think so. That'll be interesting, though, of course, next week, we could see the uh, Congress debating, if not voting, on this resolution uh, on both September 11th, which is Wednesday, and Friday the 13th, which is next Friday. Hmm. Uh, the president has announced he'll be returning to Washington late today. He's canceled travel he had on the West Coast, and obviously he's going to do a full-court press in trying to convince reluctant members, particularly in the House, to support it. But when exactly a, a vote will be taken is unclear whether it will be next week or the following week. Thank you very much, Jeff. My pleasure. CBS uh, correspondent Jeff McCausland, military consultant for CBS on uh, U.S. and Syria. By the way, on my blog, a conversation I had with uh, Dave Courage yesterday. He was wounded on election night. You'll recall, uh, wounded with the same bullet that killed his colleague uh, in the attack that uh, we're pretty sure was on Parley and Marois that night. And uh, the interview I had with that man and what he's had to deal with this past year is pretty moving. And we've posted that on CJAD. 
And uh, last night there was a kind of hastily put together in light of the criticism that Dave felt that the PQ were brushing him off, or at least the, the government's been brushing him off and trying to get the kind of help he needs to go through the system to get the assistance financially that he needs since having to move from the city and deal with post-traumatic stress and, and other ailments, recovering from his wound. They threw together this fundraiser last night. I've been trying to get an answer as to how much money was raised. And, uh, and, and it's, it's like pulling teeth. Uh, so I'm trying to get an answer on that, and uh, I'll, I'll keep you posted. And uh, I'm trying not to bother Dave with that information today because he's trying to forget this. He's trying to put it behind him. And I thought it showed a lot of courage, no pun intended, to his last name to come forward and talk about this as he did yesterday. And you can hear that interview uh, on CJAD.com. Also on my blog, I want to thank you uh, for participating in the premiere's first anniversary performance review that I posted, uh, much like the real thing. I filled out uh, what I think the, the name of our employee, Pauline Marois, has uh, lived up to as far as her promises and performance go this past year. And uh, you have not disappointed either. Uh, in fact, the, the most liked, if I will, comment on the blog so far is somewhere she's depriving a village of an idiot. Now, that's a bit nasty, and some of the comments are. Uh, but in the, at the same time, I would like your comments. Uh, keep them coming and your feedback. Feel free to weigh in, since the Premier or any other politician, technically, legally, works for us. I think it's uh, more than proper to have a performance review posted in a place for you uh, to share your feedback. On the Rick Peterson Show blog at cjad.com, please don't hold back. This man never does, and you can get caught up with all his editorials on my webpage as well. The Cold Hard Truth with Kevin O'Leary today on Teaching Kids About Money. And now, The Cold Hard Truth with Kevin O'Leary. Brought to you by O'Leary Mortgages. Visit O'LearyMortgages.com. Hi, Kevin O'Leary here. Let's talk about financial literacy. You know, we teach our children everything. Geography, mathematics, history, even sex education. But we don't teach them about money. Why is that? What's more important in their lives in the long run than money? A healthy relationship and understanding their financial responsibilities is more important than anything. I was in a room yesterday full of financial professionals, and I proposed a very simple question. Do you know your 90-day number? I was amazed at how many of these pros didn't know this, and here's what it is. You take all of your income, and I mean everything, even if you're a waiter, the numbers you bring in that you don't even report to the government, every dime you make, and you take from that every dollar you spend over a three-month period, and you'll learn something very important about yourself. If the number's positive, you're in survival mode. You won't get into trouble. If it's negative, you're actually burning up capital and you're going into debt. And this is one of the greatest challenges people have. They live beyond their means. Now, this is a huge challenge for everybody. Wealthy, middle class, wherever you fit, you've got to know your 90-day number. Try it sometime. Sit down with a pen and paper and put it together. And it's a very simple equation. I think even children should understand it. This is where the concept of debt comes in because if you're burning more than you take in, you're going into debt one way or another or you're depleting your savings. That's the cold hard truth. Till next time, Kevin O'Leary. And you know what? It's always about the money. The cold hard, hard. truth with Kevin O'Leary. Brought to you by O'Leary Mortgages. Visit O'LearyMortgages.com. Listen to The Rick Peterson Show live weekdays noon to 1 on CJAD 800 and at CJAD.com.